Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, oh, my daughter's right here trying to touch the red button on the microphone. Do you want to say hi? Yeah. Yeah, hi. Uh, before we get into today's podcast, I want to let you know about the huge sale we have going on for Thanksgiving, Cyber Monday, Black Friday, all of that. You can join the inner circle for 30% off. My daughter's trying to touch the red button on the microphone. You want to say hi again? Yeah. Yeah, hi. Uh, so it's 30% off to join the Inner Circle. It is only until Tuesday. I believe it's the 28th. So uh, if you use the code NEENE30, N-E-E-N-E-E-30 at sfinnercircle.com. I'll put the link in the description of this podcast if you want to join. Yeah, you think they should join? I agree. Uh, it is NEENE30 and you get 30% off until Tuesday, the 28th of November. So I would encourage you to sign up today. Now, the reason the code is NeNe30 is because my wife created another recipe guide. She created the mini cut recipe guide, which is basically an amalgamation. (laughs) It's a a huge amalgamation of my favorite snacks, uh, drinks, and recipes that my wife makes when I'm in a fat loss phase. So she's got her chicken parm recipe. She's got her famous meatballs. She's got uh, breakfast, lunches, dinners, snacks. She's got all of it. Some of her favorite snacks that she'll buy at the grocery store as well as the meals and snacks that she prepares here at home. They're very easy to do. I'm My daughter is wiggly right now. They're very easy to, to make. They're quick. They're easy. High protein, high fiber. All of the calories, protein, fiber are listed there. Uh, as soon as you join, you get that. You also get the uh, big ass salad recipe guide that she has made in the past, which was a huge hit. All of our favorite salad recipes, the dressings, the toppings, all of that. And then of course you get everything in the inner circle. So if you want to join the inner circle for 30% off until Tuesday, the 28th of November, you can do that right now. Nini 30, the link to join is in the uh, show notes. Now I'm going to put my daughter down because she is wiggly and we're going to go play on the water table. All right. Enjoy the episode. Hope to see you in the inner circle. Tony. Good morning. Big Tony. Big Tony. Is that a new haircut? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, looks good. Took it all off. It's just, it's it's gone. It looks great. You ever see that, that YouTube video? This is like early YouTube days. This must have been like 2009, 2010. Like the guy where he's like, I got my new fucking haircut. Got my new fucking haircut, huh? Muscle milk. Jaeger bombs, Jaeger bombs, Jaeger bombs. Dude, I I rewatched that video within the last year, and it's crazy because that video was so popular, and that was like, that was the viral video on YouTube. And in my mind, thinking back to it, it was the most amazingly well done video. Yeah, I rewatched it. It was awful. It was so poorly done but i i must have watched that like a thousand times with all my buddies and just my memory really didn't serve me well yeah it was a moment in time right because youtube was not as evolved yet uh social media was not as evolved yet so man i'm gonna watch that after this you couldn't use your phone to film that like he had to get a real camera and like have (laughs) it's like now you can just film something on your phone upload it immediately and it's super high quality you have editing apps on your phone all this stuff back then like they they had to get like a legit camera and a legit editor and it was it was terrible it was really bad yeah and by (laughs) legit camera it was probably like some consumer 
camcorder or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got a new haircut. How you doing, bro? Everything good? I'm good, man. So like, yeah, I've, I've been doing this thing probably since the pandemic where I just grow my hair out until I can't anymore. And then okay. I cut it all off. So it's just cycles. So that was probably like four or five months of, of hair. Oh, wow. Yeah, I do the yeah. same thing. I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> just grow it out. And, uh, <laughs> this is what you yeah. get. <laughs> no, I actually, I get that, like, uh, that type of balding that I thought was hilarious when I was a kid that, like, everyone on my mom's side, all the guys on my mom's side of the family has, it's like that cul-de-sac bald. bald. Oh, it's like, like the, the rim, like around. Yeah. The... You get the hair on the side of the head and all the way around, but the top, it, which like when I was a kid, I was like, how the hell does that happen? And I, I actually remember thinking as a kid, like, why would they style their hair like that? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I didn't fully understand it when I was really young. And now like it, when it starts to grow in, I'll, I'll get that cul-de-sac. I'm like, I can't. I can't be rocking that. I gotta, I gotta just shave. Yeah, it all. you're always super clean, man. Not you'll, always. You'll, you'll grow the beard out, but yeah, the top's always clean. My wife just told me within the last couple of months that she doesn't like the beard, which like I assumed she did. She was like, "I like it when you're just completely clean shaven." It's like, okay, so wow, still getting to know each other. Yeah, it's Isn't always always surprises. Always surprises, <laughs> man. <laughs> what do we, what do we got today, bro? So today we are doing a Q&A. Q&A. Let's do it. Um, and I've got some questions queued up and I'm sure you have some questions in the vault. So oh, yeah. I say we just take it and see where it goes. Let's do it. So question number one. How are these questions people DM'd you? Yeah. So this is all on Instagram. And, oh, so you, uh, you're getting some questions. They're starting to come in. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. All right. So if anyone has any questions they want Tony and I to discuss... Shoot Tony a, a message on Instagram. His his Instagram handle is in the description of the podcast, and we'll go over them. Yeah, and I will say, you know, sometimes they're just shorter questions for a Q and A, and sometimes we'll do a whole episode on a topic from a suggestion. So mm-hmm. we appreciate both. Yeah, and I'm going to apologize in advance. Sometimes when I screenshot these, there's a screen name there, and sometimes mm-hmm. I forget to capture the screen name. So some of these will be anonymous, but you know who you are and we thank you very much. Man, you just um, really aged yourself calling it a screen name. <laughs> That's like an old I'm gonna, AM. I'm going to edit, I'm gonna edit that. <laughs> your, your handle? Yeah, I think it's Sorry, that was mid. Now. That was real mid of me. <laughs> What's mid? What's that? It's Is that a new like, thing? It's Yeah, it's the slang. It's the hip slang that the young kids are saying. I, I see people on Instagram and in the comment section saying like no cat or cat. Mm-hmm. And I don't really understand that one. And so like now that's when I know I've really started to age <laughs> out is like I, I don't get it. And I try and apply context to it. And then this young kid at my jujitsu academy tried explaining it. And I just I, I and then also based. Mm. I don't understand based either. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I'm just sitting there like, man, don't ask me what it means. Don't ask me what it means. So you cut this this person's screen name off. But uh <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's early, okay? It's early. All right, so the question is, hey, just listen to Jordan's podcast on starting a business, and I do have a couple questions. How do you plan for retirement without an employer with a 401k? And two, in terms of investing money, 
without a lot of time to spend looking into investments, is there a resource to learn more about investing so you can plan for the future? Mm, that's a great question. So I'll start by saying I am not a finance expert. I actually really started getting my financial advice from my really great friend, Mike Vacanti, and I have a separate podcast with him. It's called the How to Become a Personal Trainer podcast. And so we initially started it for just like to teach coaches how to become better coaches. And that's a huge part of what we do. But um, he is the one who really helped me understand finance much better, helped me understand saving much better. And I'll also have to give my mom a huge amount of credit because when I was like, I must have been 22 or 23 is when I started actually making investments into like my Roth IRA. And then once I maxed that out on an annual basis, then I moved to a SEP into a SEP. And I've been doing this since my young 20s, which like, wow, thank God. Mm -hmm. That's just completely complete. You do that too. You do the same thing. Yeah. I probably started a little later than you, but yeah, having the retirement account, man, that I didn't really think about a lot, but I put a little away in and then, you know, 10 years later, it's like, oh, snap. Yeah. That's, like you're, that's, it is growing. That's, that's good. It's growing. And, and that's really what I didn't understand when people would say, make your money work for you. But like, that's one of the the major ways that they mean is like, you, you put it into one of these accounts. Now you could do it on your own. I have a guy who does it for me. And I, I use uh, like uh, JP Morgan is one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Wells Fargo is one of them. Now, the downside to having someone do it for you is that they take a small percentage of, of that money. So you're paying them to do it for you. The upside is if I had to do it myself, I wouldn't do it because I wouldn't really understand it. I wouldn't know how to make it work. You would have to you know, become educated in order to do that. So I would... I would reach out to like one of these companies and I know there are going to be people listening. Don't do this company. Don't do that company. Like, listen, I just, my mom got me set up with one of these companies when I was a young kid, I was in my young twenties and uh, started off with a Roth IRA. And then you can only contribute a certain amount to a Roth IRA every year. And so if you're making or you're contributing under that amount, then you can keep contributing just to that. And there are certain benefits with a Roth IRA. After you get to a point where you max that out, where like you can actually contribute much more, then that's when I transferred to what's called an SEP, a SEP. And and that, I think the max amount you can contribute annually to that, I think it changes annually, but it's about between like 50 and 65,000 a year or something, which is much more than you can contribute to a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much you can contribute to a Roth, but it's, it's significantly lower than that. And so it took me a number of years before I could, I maxed the Roth out and then started contributing to the SEP and you can't do both, but that is, is the major thing that I do every single year is I, I max whatever I can out. Uh, and if I can't max it out, then I will give as much as I can to that. But that, that's the major, 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 major thing. And don't quote me on this. I, I could Google it, but I, I think it's tax free. What is is a SEP tax free tax? It's oh, it's definitely tax deductible. That's it. Mm-hmm. So a SEP is you essentially you deduct those from your taxes. So it's it doesn't really count as money necessarily made. Or it's, it's a huge deduction. Mm-hmm. So that that is a major 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 component which helps a lot. From there, another thing that I do is I've I, I contribute to index funds. 
Mm-hmm. So, so there's like the major one that my buddy Mike really got me into was VU, V-O-O, which mm-hmm. is like, it just, it historically does super, super well. And the, the phrase that my buddy Mike taught me is, is dollar cost average. So what a lot of people do when they contribute to these, these funds or to their, their retirement or to these, whatever it is is they try and they do large sums of money at one time, which is essentially what you're doing with a Roth IRA or a SEP. But when you're contributing to index funds, essentially like stocks, you when you're doing like these large groups, these relatively low risk options, it's often better to do small amounts every month over a long period of time as opposed to doing large sums of money. Because when you're doing large sums of money at one time, you're essentially just getting in at what it costs at that point. And if you're really, really good and a magician and and you can like tell what times are going to be the best, then great. But most people aren't that good at figuring it out and and they'll often end up spending more money and not getting the, the best amount for their dollar. So every single month, I take a certain amount. And I put it into VOO I put it into VU every single month. And it's not a huge amount, mm-hmm. but it's a relatively small amount every month. So over the course of a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I actually end up getting a better deal on my dollar than I would if I was just, hey, I've, I've got all this extra cash. I'm going to put it all in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I do. And, and I've spoken about this before, but my major thing is I don't have a budget every month. Like I don't say I can only spend this amount. I, I have a this is how much I must save every month. Like this is my minimum required to save and that accounts for my annual SEP. It accounts for my dollar cost averaging going into VOO and some other ones that I have. And once I've saved the minimum required every month, then I can spend. And then I can, you know, whether it's going out to dinner is buying gifts, random things for the gym or around the house, whatever it is, that's when I can spend because I, I'm required to save X amount. And that's worked very well for me. I've never been a math guy. Anyone who listens to this podcast or or my personal trainer podcast with Mike will know I'm I'm terrible, terrible at math. But it's much easier for me to be like, okay, cool. Just take this much money. Now that's saved. This is not touchable. This is like unspendable. This is just going in towards either retirement, index funds, whatever it is. And then everything else, then I can, it's like play money. And I've historically been very conservative with that, which means the amount of play money that I have is very small relative mm. to the amount that I'm saving. Uh, and I think I save to a fault in many instances, but I've, I think I've gotten better with it. But that just stems from my my upbringing and money being a major issue with us growing up. Now, you know, uh, as a as a business, as a business, um, your, your <laughs> income probably fluctuates every single degree. month, every yeah. month. It's never the same. So how do you decide what your saving number is when your income number is changing that's a great question that so that's based on like averages Mm -hmm. and so the amount that i've saved has changed dramatically over the years so i mean early on and actually so i know one of the questions was who should you follow dave ramsey is one of my all-time favorites he's he's incredible i know he's controversial but i think he's controversial in the same way that i'm controversial he's no bullshit tells it like it is. This is what you need to do. And Dave Ramsey really, really caters to the individual who is either in debt 
and or is not making very much, which is one of the reasons that I love him. He, he caters to the people who really need it, he, who need financial advice. He's not catering to the people who are multimillionaires and, and mm-hmm. are really like looking to max out their dollar. It's like, no, he's catering to the people who really need to get out of debt and start saving money. So if you really want help with this, I would, couldn't recommend Dave Ramsey enough. When I first started, it, it was saving $100 a month. $50 a week, whatever it was. It was it was super, super relatively small amounts. The crazy thing, and this is what I learned from Dave Ramsey, is that even saving what seems like relatively small amounts, $500 a month, $500 even a year, uh, something like that, can turn into over a million dollars investing it properly over your lifetime into index funds and things like that. It's It's outrageous. And I didn't understand it now that I've been doing it for almost 10 years, I can see exactly what he's talking about. Like it's wild watching your account. Um, even my wife too, my, my wife, everyone listening is like, what does she do for work? Uh, it's <laughs> she'll, uh, her legitimate jobs over the years, like legitimate jobs, not the ones that I've played around with on Instagram. She was never making large amounts of money, like never, ever, ever, ever. But her grandfather he is just the most amazing person. And he he retired by the time he was like 50 because he invested so well. He was just, and granted, economy was different, all of that, the, the dollar was different, but he did so well with his money. And, it was so, and he never made huge amounts either, but he essentially followed the Dave Ramsey model. He loves Dave Ramsey as well. Another great one that my wife loves is a guy named Clark Howard. Clark Howard has amazing information on this stuff. And he got my wife doing the same thing that my mom got me doing, but he got my wife doing it when she was like 18. Mm. So like she was putting teeny tiny amounts into these accounts, like teeny tiny amounts. And then I remember when we were, you know, getting married and going over finances, I, I, I was like, holy shit, like how the hell do you have this much money in here? And it was just because she started doing it when she was 18. And she told me she was like, she was really upset about it when she was 18, but her grandfather made her do it because mm. she was like, well, I want this money for going out and for partying and whatever it is when you're 18 years old. But her grandfather made her do it and he didn't give her like a gift of money. There was none of that. That never happened. It was like the amount of like money, money that she has earned. Now, yeah. All money she earned. And, um, and so that I, I would say Clark Howard, Dave Ramsey. And so when I figured it out, it was just, it was, looking at averages over time, like, okay, cool. So this year I made this amount. So next year, the amount that I save can go up or this year I made this amount, you know what? So this year I'm actually going to have to reduce the amount that I save. And it's just all based on averages and just logically looking at it and saying, okay, I'm going to have to either increase, decrease or stay the same. But let's say something terrible happened in my business right now where, where I just had a massive drop off to my, to my income. Then in the moment I would be like, cool. Then that means I can only save like this amount. Like mm-hmm. it would drop like that would just, or if, let's say if I won the lottery or one of my investments just went gangbusters and then I like, cool, then I'd be like, cool, that the amount that I'm saving has to go up. So it's all based on what's happening real time and, and averages over that time. Yeah. And to make a connection, it does sound like your investing strategy is similar to your fitness strategy and that consistency is is a thing you're always putting a little bit away you're always Every investing a little bit consistently yeah. and it may not be impressive now it may not be a game changer over this week over this month over this year but over the course of years you know you're financially fit yeah and it's also it's very similar to the scale and that like mm-hmm. 
I don't look at my investments every single day or every, every single week because they go up and down. Like they go up and down with the market. The app that I have, it goes up and down like by the second. It's crazy. Like it's sort of like ding, ding, ding. Like I have a little yeah. bit more money. I have a little bit less money. I have a little bit less money. Oh, now I have more money again. It's like you could just sit there and stare at it. Yeah, and, and it's it's a terrible, terrible idea. I remember, I remember like right when COVID hit, there was a huge drop, and I got super scared. And my buddy Mike was like, "Don't take your money out. Mm-hmm. Do not take your money out." And he was like super, 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 super aggressive with it. And I forget the exact quote. I know finance people listening are gonna like butcher me because I'm ruining this quote. But it's to the effect of when people are scared that's when they take their money out. And when people are like more confident, that's when they put their money in. But you need to do the exact opposite. When everyone else is scared and taking their money out, that's when you you need to put your money in. And when everyone else is really confident, that's when you need to take your money out. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did with COVID. And by the way, like even though I did have actually the first two weeks of when COVID hit, because a lot of people were losing their jobs and people didn't really know what was going on. In March 2020, I had a huge drop off the inner circle. Like I, I was very scared because we had wow. a huge, huge yeah. drop off for the first two weeks. I remember talking to my wife being like, this is this is going to be a real problem. And, um, and I still kept putting money in the account. I still like, still like, I, I didn't stop saving money. I didn't stop investing just still slowly. And fortunately after those two weeks, a huge percentage of those people ended coming back because it was like, they were like, Oh, this is going to be longer than two weeks. And it was just like, there, there were a lot of different factors that led to people coming back. Okay. You know what? I still have my job. I can invest in this. So it was fortunately fine. But even when, and especially when times were really scary, still investing every single week, every single month, putting money in, like just, you, you have to do it. So it's, it's one of those things, like you said, you don't see changes day to day, week to week, month to month, but, year over year, you actually start to see pretty significant and, and I would say significant, impressive. And for me, anxiety reducing changes because mm, that's for huge. me, that's always been a major fear of if I lose everything, what am I like, what's going to happen? But it's, it's starting to get to a point where I can be like, you know, if I lost everything, like if I lost like my, when I say everything, if I lost my business, if I lost everything, it's starting to get to a point where I could be like, I'd still be okay because I have all this mm. saved. Like, which is, that is like, what an amazing, amazing feeling to be like, okay, even if I, like the worst situation in the world happened from an economic perspective, from a money perspective, there are many things worse than losing your money. Way, 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 way ter- more terrible things. But if, if that happened, then I think I'd still be able to figure it out. And and obviously I wouldn't be nearly as comfortable, not at this point, but if I keep doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, then I'm I'm definitely going to be okay. Yeah, that's awesome. I have a question here from Bennett. And it says, hey, Tony, just listen to the podcast on fitness trackers with Jordan Syatt. And I had one more question. Do either of you have any estimate based on research or comparison or otherwise, what percentage of calories you may actually be burning? I know the point was not to focus on that much, but I'm genuinely curious of y'all's thoughts. 80%, 70, 60. Mm, so, so essentially what Ben is asking is 
how accurate are like what yeah. what like how accurate roughly. are they roughly yeah, yeah. so generally speaking and there's actually there's a lot of research on this it depends which tracker you're using but i usually say they're they're about 25 to 50% off which is pretty and some of them are more some of them mm-hmm. are up to like 60 70 80% off but generally speaking as of right now they're about 25 to 50% off and i would lean towards 50% off so if your tracker says you burned 800 calories I would say it's probably closer to 400 calories, something like that. If you're going by the tracker on the machine, like the treadmill, for example, or the mm-hmm. elliptical, I would lean towards like 50 to 60% that like just cut it by about 50 to 60%. If if you're using a Whoop or a Garmin or an Apple Watch, that's when I would cut it more by like closer to like 30 to 40%. But they they are closer, but they're still and they're highly variable, right? Right. Yeah, man. I I made a post the other day that people got really mad at. It's actually super super funny. Oh, the the walking running. Yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. So I made a post because I I went on a, I went on a twenty minute run, and I did it a pretty decent clip. It wasn't my fastest two miles, but like did a pretty decent clip, and um, afterwards. I was like, you know, what? I'm going to make a post and make sure people know that they don't need to be running in order to burn the same amount of calories. Not to mention like running is you don't not supposed to exercise just to burn calories. But I was like a lot. Of, I get a, this question very often. Like, do you burn more calories running than you would walking if mm-hmm. it's the same distance? And the answer is you burn a little bit more, but not much. And um, the reason you burn a little bit more is not because of what most people think. Most people think it's because their heart rate. It's not because your heart rate, it's because in order to generate more force and to go faster, you, you use more energy from your muscles. Like the, the energy that's being burnt, the calories that are being burnt, it's burning because of the energy required to move the muscles in your body. Mm-hmm. That's why you're burning calories. It's not because your heart rate's going fast. If you really burned a ton of calories just from your heart rate increasing, then you could watch a scary movie and burn a ton of calories. It's not how it works because your heart rate would speed up when you watch a scary movie. But what you're really burning calories because of the energy it takes to move and sustain that movement and, and moving those muscles. Now, the extra calorie burn from running or sprinting goes towards the force production and also the force absorption. When you are running, you're absorbing energy, and, and that require like every time your your foot hits the floor, the foot hits the ground, you're absorbing energy, and it takes energy from your muscles to do that. Whereas you obviously don't have to absorb as much or produce as much force in order to walk. So for the same distance, you'll burn slightly more calories, but it's truly negligible. And what a lot of people were saying is, yeah, but it takes less time. And that's true. It does take less time. But Mm -hmm. some people can't run for any number of reasons, especially whether it's painful or they just they don't have the ability or whatever it is. Maybe they're with their child. I don't know. They they just they want to get the same amount of movement in or the same the same distance, but they're okay spending more time. What a wonderful thing to know that you're essentially going to have more or less the same metabolic effect just from walking the same distance as running, even if it takes an extra 30 minutes, whatever it is. Great. Maybe they want to be outside for 30 minutes more. Maybe you have the time, whatever it is. There was a guy who went on Instagram yesterday and he was like, let's test this because I don't believe it. Mm. I was like, great, test it out. And he made a post and he tagged me in it. He walked, jogged, and ran the same distance, did three different tests. I was like, I love this. Love this experiment. I think I might do the same thing just to show people. 
the it was actually interesting it, it showed that the fitness tracker the watch is highly variable because the the jog burned the least amount of calories the jog burned like 305 for whatever the distance was the walk burned the second most it was like 320 or something calories which doesn't make sense the jog should burn more just a little bit more and then the run burned the most and it was like 365 calories and he went on he was like see i knew he was wrong and I was like, the difference was about 50 calories. It was like 305 to 365 for the same distance. I was like, that's exactly what I said. Is it, yeah. if, you, if you break this down practically, that's less than a small apple. That is less than a small apple's worth of calories. So if you like are really intent on doing this, great. Then you, get, you go have an extra small apple or I don't know, like, maybe one nibble of, of like literally like a quarter of a, of an Oreo, one Oreo. Great. That's how many extra calories you burned, but it's not enough to justify or warrant being like, yes, you burned so many extra calories from running compared to walking the exact same distance. The main benefit of running over walking from the caloric burn perspective is the time. It's, it's more time efficient, but not everyone needs to be more time efficient or can be more time efficient based on their physical needs. The, the other aspects that might make running more beneficial is if your goal is re- specifically related to a certain performance metric in which you need to be running faster. Mm-hmm. But if your goal is to enjoy time outside and get exercise in and has nothing to do with running, then walking is a great option as well. So people lost their shit with that. And it was funny because a guy who tested it and said that I was wrong literally proved exactly what I said. It's, it's, it's negligible calories. Well, and the other thing that occurs to me is if he walked the same distance three days in a row, would he get a similar spread of different uh, numbers? Mm, like how, mm. how reliable is that difference right. based on yeah. one, just based on one experiment, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. But I think people, you know, people do get um, attached to their ideas. Oh, dude. 100%. And, you know, I, I think... None of us are above that. I'm not saying that in a way that, oh, wow, some people, you know, they're, they're attached to their ideas. But it's really hard to step outside of something that you firmly believe, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. And so I think that probably struck a chord with some folks. Especially, especially if they've spent their, a huge portion of their training career, of their training life doing it because they believe that, that that's what's happening. And then they realize that when they're told like, well, that's actually not accurate. They get really upset. This is why so many people have the nutrition is so culty. Nutrition is so culty because people will follow a certain nutrition protocol. They've, they've spent so much time, so much energy, so much money, so much, so much belief, so much time telling other people to follow the same protocol. And then when mm-hmm. they're faced with the reality of, well, that's actually, maybe it's not healthy for you. It's not good for you. It's uh, it's not actually doing what you think it's doing. Yeah. Maybe it's Why just they more dig complicated than you think, you know? Yeah. They, they dig their heels in deeper. It's, it's the sunk cost fallacy. I, I want to show you something. My buddy, Nick Bear did something recently. He ran, how many miles did he run? He did this whole thing. He called the last man standing race. He ran 100.8 miles, which That's is it. just, <laughs> he, and it was like, essentially for all intensive purposes, all intents and purposes, not, in, I can't, when people say all intensive <laughs> purposes, all intents and purposes, like it was nonstop. And he's an absolute savage. It's unbelievable. Like, I can't so believe that, like he did four this. marathons 
back to back to back to back. So it's it's this race. It's called the Last Man Standing race. He did it a few weeks ago. That's um, wild. Dude, it's it's absolutely insane. I want to find because I screenshotted it. So let me let me see if I can find this really quick. This is gonna blow people away. I was gonna make a post on this, and I, I still plan to. So he ran over one hundred miles, and and he just and it was about a day. Like he ran for like twenty four hours straight, something like that, maybe even longer than that. Yikes! And he. He has all of his trackers. He it says like how much, how long he went, his average heart rate, all this stuff. So his average, his average heart rate was 133 beats per minute. His average pace was 13 minutes uh, and 19 seconds per mile. Oh, and it was the total time was 23 hours, 51 minutes, and 28 seconds. So he ran for almost 24 hours straight, which is just absolutely insane. He's a beast. He's an absolute savage. It also has the total calories that he burned on it. Now I want to talk about this. I I was thinking about making an Instagram or YouTube video about this because it's really important for running almost 24 hours straight over 100 miles, his watch. And this is again, assuming that it's accurate. Let's just, let's just say his watch is a hundred percent accurate. Okay. 17,167 calories. It's not that much. If you really think about it, for running a hundred miles, 17,000 calories, it's not like that. Like, I think most people would think, oh my God, you run a hundred miles. Like you're going to burn a hundred thousand calories. Mm-hmm. I think people think that you'd be able to just eat nonstop for a month after that amount of running 17,000 calories. It's like about a week, about a week. If you're eating like dialed and perfectly, mm-hmm. I think most people probably eat more than that in their week. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's, it's really not that much. So people get really into this idea of, oh my God, I'm going to run like an extra two miles and I'll be able to eat so much more. And ironically, people who train for marathons, not like the, not Kipchoge, not like the marathon winners, but the people who just, they, they train for marathon because it's something they want to do. They'll often end up gaining weight because they're so much more hungry. They end up eating so much more and they're not burning as many calories as they think they are. Interesting. The, the, the calorie burn you get from running or from exercise in general is not nearly as much as people think it is. And it's a huge, huge, huge mistake to be like, all right, well, I'm only going to exercise just so I can burn calories and eat more. That's when people end up developing a terrible relationship with food and end up often gaining body fat because they're not burning nearly as much as they think they are. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I never really considered that. Although for 17,000 calories, that would be a lot of food to eat in a day. In one day, yes. Yeah. 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 I don't think anyone's no having that in a day. And, yeah. I mean, there are, there are challenges online where people have like the 10,000 calorie challenges or 20,000 calorie challenges or Yikes. I saw Eric the Electric did a 100,000 calorie challenge in three days, which was just wild. I'm not saying anyone's doing that in a day, but I think that the reason I explain it is just because I think people would have expected for over 100 miles and for running for literally 23 hours and 51 minutes and 28 seconds straight, 17,000 calories doesn't seem like that much. Yeah. It's like, it's really not. And, and again, this is assuming that that caloric number is correct. If we go by what I was saying earlier, we could take like, this like 30 to 40, maybe even 50% off. Right. So it's, it's really, it's not that much. It's really not that much. And I, I loved seeing that because I was like, man, I think most people would have expected a way higher caloric burn from that run. Yeah. 
um, I had the pleasure of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro with my father. Dude, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, it was one of the cooler things I've done. And, you know, my dad was a little bit older. Um, you know, he's in his late 60s when we did it. And so normally it takes, I don't know, about like three days for people to climb up three or four days and then one day down. Uh, we did like five days up, two nice. days down just yeah. to keep the pace a little bit easier. But we had camp with this one guy who was doing a fundraiser and he was running up to the top and back down as fast as he could. <laughs> And so like we're there trudging, hiking with our packs and like, you know, like going real slow. And like he like sits down, and has a meal with us and tea. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm off. And like <laughs> starts starts running up the mountain. And yeah, I mean, I think he did it and he did it in basically a day. Wow. So just for perspective, I mean, it's just like there's what like we normally do. And then there's people like that and yeah. people like your friend who, who's running 100 miles in a day. That's that's just wild. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. All right, I've got another question. Hey, Tony, podcast idea for Jordan Syatt's podcast. Say you've had an eating disorder or you've crashed dieted or had to make weight for a competition. After that, you absolutely can't get full no matter how much you eat. How do you get yourself out of that hole when it feels like you can't stop eating or got super burnt out counting calories and can't stomach getting back into it? Man, that's that's a tough one. This so sending all my love to this person because this is uh unfortunately very common among people who've struggled with binge eating. And if you've listened to my podcast or, or my content for a while, you know I, I struggled with that because of wrestling, cutting weight for wrestling. That was a, a huge issue. And what this person's describing is very common among people who who cut weight and are super, super, super strict. They massively, massively uh, restrict their calories. And then they get to a point where no matter what, they just, they can't feel full. It's devastating. And I, I went through this when I was a young kid, like probably 14 through 2021 is really where I struggled with this. The first thing I'll say is I would strongly encourage you to get help from a professional. There are binge eating like specialists who, who help with binge eating, like similar to psychologists. Uh, and they might even be a psychologist mm -hmm. in, in terms of like their specialties around binge eating. I think it's one of the best things that someone can do. I didn't do it mainly because I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know it was possible to reach out to someone. And fortunately, I was able to overcome it on my own. But there's, I don't say that with like a pride or with like, uh, it's not better to overcome it on your own. It's like overcoming it is the only thing that matters. So if you can reach out to a, a binge eating specialist and someone who can help with your relationship with food, I think that's the number one thing I'll say. Going from there, you should absolutely not be counting calories if this is your situation. Really, if you are recovering from any disordered eating relationship, I don't think counting calories is a good idea for the vast majority of people. For a very small percentage, some of them can actually help. But for most people, it's a terrible, 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 terrible idea and will actually exacerbate the issue. So um, do not count calories. And another reason for this, and this goes for people even if they don't necessarily have a eating disorder, but sometimes when people count calories, there's a certain group of people, not everyone, but some people, when they're counting calories, they have a really hard time getting full period. Where when they're actually tracking, all they're doing is they're just focusing on how many calories they have left. Every bite of food that they eat 
is just, I only have this many calories left, this many calories left. When they think of it that way, it actually reduces their ability to feel fullness. And, and so now it's, just, it's a countdown until their last bite, until they're not allowed to eat anymore. Mm. For these people, I would not recommend counting calories, at least not for the time being. It's not like maybe one day in the future you can, but for right now, when that's your mindset, I, I would urge you not to do it because it's going to be, it's going to do more harm than good. So do not count calories. Now, the other thing here, and this is, um, this is not a, a fun thing to go through, but when you're going through this phase of you can't feel full, there's actually a, a woman, her name is Stephanie Buttermore. She did a whole series on this because it's so crazy, man. She, she had this whole, she was one of the people who were doing these 10,000 calorie challenges all the time on YouTube. And I'm not talking shit about her at all. But I remember watching these back in the day, many, many, many years ago and telling people that I was with in that moment watching her, I was saying, she's got a binge eating problem. Mm. I was like, being able to eat 10,000 calories in a day, no problem, is not normal. That's, that's a real issue. And the only reason someone would be able to do that is if they have a binge eating issue. Uh, and I remember telling people like, she's got a problem. She's got a problem. She's got a problem. And then eventually, thank God, she came out and she was like, I've got a problem. Like this, this isn't good because she was also super lean. She was very lean. I'm thinking, okay, if she's able to do these 10,000 calorie challenge videos so regularly, that means that she's essentially starving herself all the time. She's not on camera in order to then make up for these huge 10,000 calorie videos. So uh, she came out and then she did something called the all in approach. And I've gotten a lot of questions over the years about her approach on this. I've never really spoken about it publicly, but basically her approach was, and I'm going to very, I'm going to oversimplify it, but you just, whatever you want, you eat it in whatever quantity. Like with everything I do, I think there is some, there's nuance to this. I don't agree that you should just eat whatever you want, whatever quantity. And she ended up gaining a lot of weight throughout doing this. And I'm not going to say it's bad. I think that, that, she actually, she needed to gain some weight during this, but I know I'm, there was a lot of like, just eat whatever you want, whatever you crave at any point in time, you eat it in whatever quantity. I don't agree with that, but I do agree with not counting calories and, and really just eating and, and filling yourself up. And this, I think the majority of it should come from whole minimally processed foods. And this is really what helped me uh, when I was that like 20, 21, 22 year old kid, uh, 2021 was, um, the majority of my food, I would fill my plates up with fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, or, or even not lean proteins, whether it was salmon or whatever it was, eggs, I would fill up my plate and I would eat a lot of minimally processed whole fresh foods. Now I did gain weight doing this because I was essentially trying to maintain a weight that was too low for me to, to be mentally healthy. Physically, I was very healthy. Mentally, I was very unhealthy because I, I was over restricting for so long. Hmm. So I did gain weight. I did gain body fat and, and more body fat than I would have liked. But when you gain that body fat, that's actually how you're going to be able to bring the, your hunger hormones and your, your satiety signals back to normal. So what Stephanie Buttermore did is she did this all in approach. She gained a lot of weight and like, she got a lot of shit for it. And I couldn't imagine what she went through because her, her audience significantly bigger than mine, way more engaged. She got a lot of people hating on her all over the internet. And she went through this whole process, which is difficult enough going through on your own, never mind with like the eyes of, of your yeah. of a huge amount of people on you. And then since then, she's been able to lose it. And she's developed what she says is a very healthy relationship with food. And I believe her. But I don't necessarily agree with just eating as much as you want, whatever you want, and gaining tremendous, tremendous amounts of body fat. Uh, I don't think she needed to go that all in, but she did. And now she's better for it on the back end. The issue is, and this is something that I think goes overlooked. She had a lot of pressure on her 
in order to come back to a more uh, a more healthy body fat percentage and a more healthy way of eating because this is her business and she has a lot of eyes on her. There's like her entire social media presence. She, there's a lot of eyes on her. I, I think of it like the, I, I call it the the biggest loser effect where you have these people who are on the biggest loser who they have hundreds of thousands of eyes watching them. And so when they're on TV and they have all these eyes watching them, of course, they're going to stick to what they're doing because there are so many people watching them. There's so much more pressure. Mm-hmm. This is why I say it's actually easier for me to do a mini cut than it is for other people, not because I'm a man or not because of my metabolism, but because I have so many eyes watching me, I have way more pressure and accountability to actually stay consistent. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you watch these biggest loser people get off the biggest loser and then they go home and there's no more cameras, there's no more controlled environment, there's no one, people aren't watching anymore. They gain the weight back. And there are other reasons for it as well. But one of the main ones is there's no pressure or very little pressure relative to what was before. So she gained a lot of weight. She got back on track and now she's maintaining a much healthier body fat percentage. And it looks like she has a much healthier relationship with food. My concern is for the regular person who doesn't have a huge social media audience, they're not going to have nearly as much pressure to actually change their dietary habits once they get back on track, which is why I think it's more important to not go all in from the perspective of whatever you want, whenever you want, and whatever quantity you want. I think it's more important to try and start with, let's focus on whole minimally processed foods, fruits, vegetables, lean proteins, and then yes, having some treats as well, but using moderation as our guide, as opposed to like, we're just going to eat the entire sleeve of Oreos just because I say I want the entire sleeve of Oreos, not the best approach for the vast majority of people. So long roundabout way, of saying it, find a therapist, find someone that specializes in this. Stop counting calories. Do not count calories at all. I would say for at least six months, not a good idea. And then from there, be okay gaining some body fat. Be okay gaining weight. Do your best to get full, like fill up on these whole minimally processed foods. Your hunger, your hunger hormones and your satiety signals will re-regulate. They will come back. It's just, it's going to take a little while, and you need to be okay putting on some body fat in that process. Yeah, and. I know it's hard to generalize, but these whole uh, minimally processed foods, they tend to like bang for buck per calorie, increase your satiety versus correct, like cookies, right? Correct. Yeah. The, what they do, I will say, and this is something that I, if, if someone's never struggled with this, they're going to have a very hard time understanding it. But this is one of the major characteristics of someone who has true binge eating disorder. When I say like, I, when I was really struggling with this, 18, 19, 20, 21, 21 is when it stopped. When I say like I could eat pounds of food and not feel, not feel full and just still feel hungry. Like I, I mean it with every ounce Mm -hmm. of my being, it was like a never ending garbage can that you could just keep putting food in. And my stomach, you'd see it starting to distend. You'd see it like getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but my hunger wouldn't go away. It was ab- it was a surreal experience. And what I used to do, and actually what Eric the Electric has done, and he's been very open about it, how he's, he's struggled with uh, eating disorders throughout the years. He has a whole separate YouTube channel for it. He does food challenges where he does these food challenges where he'll eat 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 calories, 100,000 calories in three days for one of them. And that's not normal. And a lot of it is to do with the binge eating issue. And and he's open about, he's like, listen, this isn't healthy. This isn't fun. I don't like doing this, but that's one of the ways that he's, he's, uh, I'm not encouraging anyone to do this. I Mm -hmm. don't want to be very clear that this is one of the ways that he's, he's dealt with it for him personally. 
when I was really young, I actually did two or three food challenges because I was like, oh man, this is what a great, in my, in my young brain, I was like, oh, this would be a great way for me to essentially function with this eating disorder. And there was a challenge in Ohio that I did. It was called the Eagles Deli Challenge. I still have pictures of me doing it where it was like eating this massive, massive, massive sandwich and like, like five pounds of French fries. And I remember eating it and not having an issue at all. And they put my picture on the wall. And when you do it, you get the meal for free. Uh, I remember there was a um, diner in Boston, I believe, I forget which, I think it's Harvard Square. Maybe it's Eagles Deli or something where they had, it's like 20 burger patties and 20 slices of cheese and like, like 20 things of bacon and all this stuff, like doing that, like I did multiple of them. And I, in my mind, I was like, man, I could just go around doing all these food challenges. But thank God after like three, I was like, this is, I need to stop. This is terrible. This is, and fortunately I had that, that frame of mind at a, at a relatively young age, but it's very easy to go the other direction. But the reason I'm saying this is because if you've never struggled with it, it's hard to understand when you're struggling with this and you say you can't get full, I literally mean I could not get full. It doesn't no matter, matter what it, it, what it was. No, yeah. It doesn't matter. And it takes time. And that's why you need to be okay putting on some body fat and not getting huge. You don't need to balloon up. You don't need to become morbidly obese. But the the fear of putting on body fat is what actually keeps people from making progress in, in all areas of life. This isn't just for disordered eating. The fear of putting on body fat actually prevents people from putting on muscle. It prevents people from having different from reaching higher levels in their athletic performance. It prevents people from having a healthy relationship with food. Uh, the fear of putting on small amounts of body fat actually keeps people from making progress far more than I think many, many, many other things because it creates a fear of eating. It creates a fear of feeling their body properly. And when you get over this fear of, of adding a little bit of body fat, you actually completely, you can change your health. You can change your relationship with food, change your relationship with exercise. Now it's sort of difficult to discuss because most people need to lose body fat, especially if we're talking about like the, the majority of people, but it's the fear of gaining that is actually causing so many of these issues that's preventing them from losing. It's a weird dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the most intuitive approach isn't the correct approach. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Are you uh, at a new jujitsu gym? I am, man. It was really tough. Yeah. It was really, yeah, we, we moved pretty far away and I tried making the drive down to the, to the original one, Alex Martin's, but it was like an hour plus drive every day there and then yeah. back and then actual training. And I did it for a week. And then I, I told him, I was like, man, I'm, I can't do this. I'm, I'm away from my family too much. I've got work. Like this is just a hobby for me. I'm, I'm not a professional mm -hmm. jujitsu athlete. Like I'm going to have to go to it. So I, I started going to a new one about a week ago. How is it? It's good. It's good, man. It's a good academy. The professor is is great so far. I uh, I always reserve like I don't say anything about like I won't say the name or anything mm -hmm. for an, a number of reasons. I, I will say it later or we'll see. I don't say anything early on just because if it turns out not being good. Yeah, you don't want to like, like <laughs> call people out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but for right now, it's been great. It's it's very very technical, like super super like going back to very foundational and you know it's a new coach the new coach does things his way and so he's like no we're going to change this we're going to change this which i'm fine with like the for me i look at jujitsu as jujitsu i do it not so much for a workout more because it's i, I like to learn the technique of it and, and the technique is so complex and so 
it's it's so in depth that I prefer going in and even if I don't really break a sweat, if I just get at the end of the session and I've learned how to use my own momentum, use my own technique better to execute the the movement properly, that for me is what's exciting about it. I can get my workout in separately. I don't do jujitsu for the workout. I do it because I really like learning the technique. And this guy is very focused on the technique. He's also very small like me. He's like an inch taller. And all of my other coaches have been bigger dudes. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first one. He's a beast, man. This guy's a savage. He's like won many, many, many competitions, high level competitor. But when you're a smaller guy going up against bigger opponents, it's a unique strategy because no matter how much strength you use, even if you are stronger than them, it's not going to last for a long time because you're going to get tired more quickly when you use strength. Yeah. Um, and they're a lot heavier. Exactly. So, so it's cool to have this guy because so much of his technique is based around, I know you're strong, but I don't want you to use your strength. I just want you to use technique because when you get really, really, really good with technique, strength becomes almost irrelevant, not always, but almost irrelevant. And, uh, my, my old coach, Alex Martins, he, he had a a saying that he would say, when you get, when you don't use the right technique, you end up using your strength. And when you end up using your strength, you end up getting tired and you end up getting tired and you end up getting smashed. So it's one of those things where technique comes first above all else. And if you're practicing technique and getting tired, if you're practicing with shitty technique, but you're getting really tired and you're, you're getting what you might consider a great workout in, you're actually not going to be being productive because you're just practicing shitty technique. So long story of saying we're doing a lot of technique work and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Could be kind of perfect for the advancing purple belt. Yeah. Really hammer down on these things. Yeah. Very humbling as well. You know, I've been doing it for over four years now. And going back to super basic stuff, I know we're changing your technique and, and not changing it, but honing it in, like mm-hmm. almost like, you know, you, you've reached this. People look at, at purple belt as the first advanced belt. And um, it's like, cool. Now you've reached this belt. Now we're going back to the beginning and starting all over again. And and we're going to make it so you, you've learned the basic fundamentals, but now we're really going to help you become an expert, which yeah. is humbling it's like well i thought i already learned this well you did but you still suck at it so we're yeah, gonna maybe it change the angle of your <laughs> ankle as you drive here yes. or grab the wrist slightly differently or yeah exactly yeah. awesome man awesome well i'm guessing that you've gotta you've gotta yes, get sir. to the new gym gotta go brother do you think this is great man I, i'm uh on point with publishing podcasts i think should we announce like every sunday i'm gonna publish a podcast that's what i'm gonna do should we make I think, that I think you just did. I think right. you just said it. Every Sunday. I just got to do it. So Sundays, publishing the podcast. Um, if you're listening, please do me a favor. Please share the podcast with someone. Whether it's on your Instagram story, tag me in it. It would mean the world to me. I'll do my best to, to see it and to share it. If you haven't left a review yet, please leave a review. They help a lot, especially the written reviews, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. And every Sunday, basically, I've decided I just need to have a day where like this is mm-hmm. this is the day where they can expect the episode. Mm-hmm. So every Sunday, new episode, it's coming out. I don't I don't have a time yet for for it. I haven't said like it has to come out at this time, but Sundays, that's when it's being published. So whether you listen to it on Sunday or any time throughout the week, thank you so much. I appreciate and love you. Your support means the world to me. And make sure you send any questions to Tony. His, his Instagram is in the description of this episode and make sure you follow Tony. He's the man. And uh, that's it. I'm going to go to jujitsu. Bye. <laughs>